welcome. I'm doing the announcements for you this morning because uh, Matthew is gone at the beach with the youth, and so Brian normally does them, and Brian is gone at the beach with the youth. So um, let's just remember them in our prayers today because they're on their way back, and I know the Lord really met them down there. They were with a, a real good church and a real gr- good group of people, and they went down there to get pumped up with the Lord. So now they just need traveling mercies coming home. So that's all of our youth at the beach. Um, want to welcome everybody here who is a visitor. Hey, Brian Davis is back from Florida. Let's give Brian a hand. <laughs> Brian went down to help the victims of which hurricane was it? There's been so many. Yeah, and uh, wound up just, you know, went to the beach, laid down there, got a tan, and just figured he wasn't coming back for several months. So, so welcome home, Brian. Um, I just wanted to mention about the voting. This is a real serious issue this year, and it's very, very close. So I just want to encourage anybody who is eligible to register to vote who is not, um, please do that. No, actually, you can't do that. So, changing the subject... There are voter guides. That's what it is, if I'd read it. There are voter guides out in the foyer. If anybody doesn't know where the candidates stand on different issues, especially like homosexual marriage and abortion and fetal stem research and so on on and so forth, the the voter guides are out there, and they're pretty cut right down the middle. They really, for those that answered the questions, it lets you know where the candidates stand on the issues. And, we, you know, there is one thing that is very specific in the Bible about voting. It says... Choose for yourselves righteous men who will rule in the fear of the Lord. And to be honest with you, that's the only issue we need to worry about. God will take care of the rest. So choose those men for yourself. And then if you can't find those men, choose the lesser of two evils. (laughs) Pray for them right now. Heavenly Father, we just pray right now for these elections. Lord, we know that you are the one who put men in office. You raise them up, men and women. Lord God, you bring them down. Lord, we know sometimes that wicked rulers are a judgment on a land, Lord God. It's what we deserve. But Father God, we pray in America that we don't get this year what we deserve. We pray, Father, we get the mercy of you, Lord Jesus. We pray for your mercy in our elections. We pray that righteous men and women would be elected all across in every vote that's going on, in every election, righteous men and women who will rule in the fear of you and in your wisdom. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Also on the announcements, the 24-7 youth uh, will be meeting uh, at 7 p.m. And um, which one is that? Is that the older one or the younger ones? We don't know. What is it? Both of them? Is it the combined deal? One, two, three, four, five. The older 24-7. Okay, that's right. Do they meet here at 6.30, though? They meet, the youngers meet at 6.30. Olders meet at 7. Also, the, um, the Ulrich Linker Life Group is meeting this Wednesday. Paula wants everybody to clap for that. And the Summers Life Group is meeting this Wednesday. <laughs> then on Thursdays... The uh, 20-somethings are meeting at 6.30, and where are they meeting? At the Forsyth. All right. Uh, <laughs> and are you poised to say something about that? About something. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then the married ladies getting loose. No, no, wait. The married, the married ladies are meeting at 7 p.m. 
And that's it, the Linkers home, right? That's it, Kim Linkers. Where are you, Kim? Is that right? And then the Getting Loose women are meeting at 7 p.m. at what home? Where, whose house? Okay, at the Martin's house, okay? All right, so make sure you have that separated. Kim Linker with the married women, and then Betsy Martin with the loosed women. All right? And then the Faded Jeans are also meeting on Friday night at the home of the Harknesses. And I think that uh, Donna wants to say something. Okay, information is out there in the foyer on the board for everybody. Donna, did you want to say Okay, Victoria Diddle called me, and um, she we need to send around sign-up sheets. She's getting married. Does anybody know the date? November 13th. November, November 13th. Okay, and um, she really needs to get a head count as to how many people are going to come. So we're going to pass that around because people had not been signing up. So anybody wants to come and bless them at their wedding, you're invited on 11-13th for Victoria Diddle and Joe Vogels. Is it going to be at the Rock Quarry? At the Rock Quarry. The, um, what's it called? Kerrigan Farms, right. Okay, I want to ask Tommy Murph to come up here. He has a uh, praise the Lord for what's happening on our, our Saturdays. Thank you. Um, real quick, uh, we have a box out in the uh, foyer. So uh, collecting food for people uh, around the park and, and really anyone else that we find out that needs food, um, if you know, if you can just keep it on the top of your head or something like that as you're going through the week to set some aside or something and bring and put in the box. And um, each week I take it and deliver it to people. But we have a quick repra uh, praise report for what happened at the park Saturday. Um, last Saturday, Ann Stepanek and I got a chance to pray for a lady that came to us. Um, you know, I guess she knew about the park outreaches. and um, She had high blood pressure and she was a rather young woman and she just wouldn't accept it you know she was really asking for prayer that you know to reject this um, diagnosis from this doctor so what really impressed me about her was her faith you know that she was confident you know that that this wasn't going to be for her so we got a chance to pray for her and um, it was it was really it was really special the whole outreach was really special um, Mary is a co-worker through somebody else of this woman, and Mary's going to tell you what the Lord did for this lady. Her name is Nina. Okay. Um, Nina's daughter works with me at Lowe's. Her name is Hazel, and um, I brought Hazel one night here to the healing conference to give her an idea of what they're doing. Well, going out to the park, as they've been coming out to the park, Hazel and her family have been going out there, and when I walked into Lowe's yesterday, and um, Hazel was standing at the door, and she goes, Mary, I have to tell you something, and I said, what, and she said, well, last weekend when they prayed for my mom out there at the park, she said, my mom went to the doctor this um, last Wednesday, and she said, the doctor just sat there and stared at her. He could not believe how her blood pressure was absolutely normal. And he said, this cannot be. He said, I do not understand what has caused this. He said, I, I don't know what to say. He said, I am just speechless. And she said that her mom is feeling better and, and just more active. And she said she, she said she just knows it was the Lord that did it through the prayer. So I've been trying to get Hazel and her mom here. 
So um, just keep praying. And as I t left an email for uh, Ann's panic to tell Tommy, keep up the good work. Amen. Also, not today at 4 o'clock, but one week from today at 4 o'clock, we have the fall retreat at Neil and Bunny's house. Is there anything you need to say about that, Bunny? Fall festival, not retreat. Yeah, anybody who wants to spend the night, they have rooms. And there were three people that Matt called me to tell me to bring up. I remember the summers were one of them, and unfortunately I was driving down the road and couldn't write it down. Who are the other two life groups that we're going to share today? Do they know? They ain't. Okay. Well, how about the summers coming up and sharing about theirs? And then Palmer's going to come up too and share something more about his. I tried to... Uh figure out what I was going to say in Spanish this morning, but I figured I'd fall on my face. But I am going to say to Karina, como esta usted? We're just having a great time at our uh, uh, life group. Uh, Jenny's coming. She's having a good time. And uh, But we are, and our uh, neighbors uh, that are actually teaching us uh, he is from Argentina and his wife is from Costa Rica and they really have a story to tell in fact they told she told uh, a story a couple weeks ago of how she got uh, was able to get to the United States and she had to go through five countries to get to the United States so it, and she was only nine years old uh, when she did it and so uh, we're just learning uh, a whole lot from them and and we have we come together and we talk we laugh together uh, we make mistakes together and and but we're just having a good time and uh, this next week yeah we're learning yeah we're learning Spanish uh, this this upcoming week I think that they're gonna do some uh, cooking something makes what we're gonna make some churros is that how you say it? Churros? Churros. It's a dessert. Sweet. Jenny got the, got the thing in Argentina to make them. I guess there's a special little something. Yeah. We're going to make those. So. But uh, actually what we're doing is we're talking about things that affect our everyday lives. In other words, for uh, Guillermo and Jennifer, uh, they just talk about things that, that affect them from day to day, and we just let it kind of roll. And if if something comes up that that needs to be addressed in the spiritual realm, we're not afraid to address it. Uh, but actually, we're we're there to learn Spanish, so that when we go back to Argentina or to any uh, yeah anywhere yeah. <laughs> Or work, or work, you know, that we're going to be able to, to communicate. Uh, in fact, uh, Karina's dad, when when we were there, I wanted to communicate with him so bad, and he wanted to communicate with me, 
but it was just you know just staring at each other really. And when when I go back, I'm gonna really impress him. <laughs> Palmer wants to talk about the men's. Yeah, I just want to remind everybody that this coming Saturday, there's going to be a men's fellowship cookout at my house uh, on Academy Street. And if you don't know where that is, there's a map out in the foyer uh, that shows where, how to get there. It's going to be uh, at 6 o'clock. And I just want to make clear that this, this is not about a, a commitment to come join a group. We really just want to have a cookout for men and not just you know, guys my age or Dean's age, you know, 30-something kind of guys. They can be younger or older. But what I want to do is just circ circulate another copy of the uh, sign-up sheet. So if you want to come, just put down your name and your phone number. And uh, if you have any questions, you can give me a call at home. Thanks. All right. I didn't realize Karina was here. Um, agua con gas, por favor. That means sparkling water, please. <laughs> if we could have the ushers come up. <laughs> Here's another Spanish word for the offering. It's called mas, right? <laughs> that means more. <laughs> mas mula. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are the provider of everything. And, Lord, we thank you that you, you've shown us that we're not giving you a portion of our money, Lord. We're just giving you a portion of your money back to you, Lord. We're just stewards over it. And, Father, we pray that when you return, we will have been found faithful with the talents that you gave us to invest and to give back to you its rightful owner. So we just ask right now your blessing on each one here. We pray, Father God, I just pray your ability, your blessing of ability. Each man invested and was given according to his ability to give back. And, Father, I just pray that you increase each person's here ability, Father, to invest and to gain and to grow and to give back, Lord, for your work, for your good pleasure. And I pray most of all, Father God, that you just give us a cheerful heart this morning as we're giving, that you just cause a bubbling up of joy that we have the ability to give back to you a portion of what you've given to us. And I ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. The kids, we'd like to dismiss the kids at this time. I like the, uh, I was walking around in here this morning while we were worshiping. I really like the atmosphere the Lord has given us, is giving us. More of a, we want a, a less religious atmosphere in church. And that's something to go for, right? Less, is that right? Oh, man. Less religious. So let's don't go get religious on ourselves here right now, okay? Let's, let's not be religious. Let's be, uh, be, be real with the Lord. That's what the Lord wants. So, let's see. Lord, we just really want to ask you to help us, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, we thank you for really ministering to us and speaking to us about your heart. Father, we thank you for the testimonies of people in the community getting touched by you, Lord. Just increase that, Lord. We want to see more people's lives touched and transformed by your saving grace and healing power, Lord. Lord, we ask you to do that. Lord, we thank you for the people in the church that you really are encouraging and blessing and uh, asking to go to the next level with you, Lord. We pray you continue those types of things. Lord, we pray for anybody in here this morning that is discouraged or feels uh, lonely or heartbroken or, or separated, Lord. We ask you to touch them this morning, Lord. Uh, heal the brokenhearted, Lord. 
Lord, we just want to honor you and glorify your name and just tell you, Lord, we're just so happy that you saved us, Lord. We're so blessed, Lord, that you've revealed yourself to us and that you care about us, Lord. We just really are, Lord. We really thank you, Lord. We, we thank you, Lord. It's really an honor for us to be able to serve you. It's really an honor to be called by your name, Lord. And Lord, thank you for that, Lord, this morning. Lord, help us to be more real with you, Lord. And Lord, help us, Lord. We cry out to you today for the, for the body of Christ, the church in this nation, Lord, that the church would really rise up in this hour, Lord, and become the body of Christ that you want us to be now, Lord. Lord, we can't be the church in the book of Acts. We can't be the church of the 80s or 90s. And we can't be the church of tomorrow, Lord. We can be the church of today, Lord. And we ask you that we would become the church of today. Whatever that is, Lord, we are agreeing with you, Lord, to be that, Lord. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Everybody good? Good for you. <laughs> um, I wanted to just share one more time, and this is, Lord willing, the last time I'm going to share on this scripture that the Lord gave me, um, Philippians 2, 25 through 30. Um, Yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Now, I think if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I shared a few times actually from that verse about the three things in there, about being a, being a brother or a family, part of God's family, being a worker, and, and being a fellow soldier. Like, those are like three things that God has called all of us to be. He, he's called us to be part of His family. And He's called us also to serve Him, and He's called us all to, uh, to be on a mission. And if we lack any of those things in our life, then we will become very unbalanced and as, as, a, as a human being as a, because that's how God created us. And um, the way the thing started for me is Becky and I were on a hike and, uh, one day and we were just talking about stuff. And God really began, He came on the hike with us and spoke to us. And really what He spoke was, uh, He really sort of firstly corrected my theology, I guess, about uh, church life and about fellowship, uh, things that I had really believed and really would have felt like I could have proved biblically that I was right in what I believed, uh, but God really corrected me and told me I, was, I had some error in what I believed about uh, the family of God and how that should be outworked in, in my life. So I, I took that, you know, but he also uh, encouraged me about the grace of God, to, to, be a, you know, to be a worker, to serve Him in grace. It was a real encouragement from the Lord to, you know, that grace is like the thing that you got to, how you, how you serve God acceptably is, is what the Scripture talks about. And He really, I felt God's encouragement that He was encouraging that He's looking for people to serve Him. He's looking for workers. He's seeking people that would, that would really work for Him and serve Him not live for ourselves and not serve ourselves. Um, and he also really, uh, char I felt like he really charged me about, you know, you need to be on a mission, bud. It's time to be on a mission. Um, so those were like three things. So <laughs> I was going to do all that in one message, like kind of put together this massive message and try to explain all three of those things that didn't work out that way. But I am going to say this this morning. I do want to hit on 
couple scriptures here about grace because grace is so important. And the further you go in a revelation of grace, the more you realize how much you need grace because God always brings things into your life which will confound you. I don't care how advanced you are in the grace of God and in the life of Christ in you. God seems to take great pleasure in putting things in your life that you just can't seem to work out and figure out. And it's, it's a reminder of grace. That's what it is. It's a reminder you know, that you don't get so confident that you've got it all down and you understand it that you can just keep, you know, you can buzz right along with your level of re- revelation and understanding. And so he brings new things. He brings new situations in your life that require grace to be activated in you to a much greater level. But one of my f- favorite verses about grace in the Bible is Acts 20, verse 32. It says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That's what Paul was commending the Ephesian church to when Paul was telling them goodbye and you will never see me again because they had become so dependent on Paul that, you know, he was somebody, you know, pretty significant person, of course. And, but he was saying, goodbye, I'm leaving and I'm leaving something better for you because I'm not the answer for you. But God is the answer for you and the word of his grace is the answer for you. And then he goes on and says, this is able to build you up. Now, I've shared on this word before, build up. Is build, that word actually means renovate, renovate, repair, and fix. And the picture that is given there is, is like a house in a storm. And the house in a storm, there's shingles get, going to get blown off. There's damage that's going to happen to that house. And that's what Paul was trying to say. He was saying, wolves, the storms of life are going to come against you as a believer. Just expect it. Get over this notion that it's, you're not going to be attacked, you're not going to be hit, that shingles are not going to get blown off in your house. That's what he was saying. But he's saying this. He was saying the God in the word of His grace will, will fix that. God in the word of His grace will heal that in your life if you let it. And that's a major part of the grace of God is to fix us where we're broken. And it certainly will fix us where we're broken and help us and build us up in the Spirit of God, you know, which causes us to be healthy so we can live the Christian life. And that's really one of the things. But then he goes on. That's not the only thing that the Word of His grace does. The Word of His grace gives us the inheritance, which it will give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In other words, every child of God has an inheritance in Christ. Every person. See, when I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about the elder brother, the, the parable of the prodigal son, you have an elder brother and a younger brother. The younger brother took off into the world to find his identity. That's what he was doing. He was trying to find who he was. And wasn't, you know, it's not, everybody tries to do that probably. Goes out into the world trying to find out who they are, prove something to themselves. Um, but he didn't have to do it. Because the grace of God gave that, that young man his inheritance. He had it. He had his identity. He had everything he needed in grace. But he, but he left. He ran away. Okay. Well, you have the elder brother who is, was, the, was a bad guy too. In fact, I think my personal opinion, I know some people disagree with this, but my personal opinion, he was the worst of the two. Because he stayed at home and tried to earn the inheritance that was given him. Remember, he, both of them received the inheritance. And he stayed right there at home and tried to earn that thing. And he had such bitterness and hatred in his heart. Such bitterness and hatred in his heart. And what we see at the end, we see this elder brother angry and upset with God. And we see the younger brother on his knees repenting. 
And my point is, I would rather be on my knees repenting than being angry and upset in God. That's why I may, would say if I, if I had to choose, I would rather choose and be the repentant brother versus the, the self-satisfied religious brother. But the Bible goes on, uh, in first, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15.10. This is a profound, uh, concise teaching on grace. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, you see that? By the grace of God. It's God's grace that establishes you who you are in Christ. Nothing else. It's not what you do. You know? It's not, you know, it's not your name. It's not your family. It's none of that. It's God's grace. That's the thing. And that's what Paul says. I am who I am by God's grace. And look who Paul was. He was an apostle. And, that's, and he said the grace of God is what established him. So we don't have to earn anything. We don't have to go into the world and seek anything. We can allow the grace of God to make us and give us our true spiritual identity. And that's what we need in this room. You need it in this room. You need to get over trying to think, well, I am this or I am that or I hope to be this or that. It doesn't matter. Those are not the things that's going to work for you because they all come out empty. Paul didn't say he was an apostle of the Lord because of credentials. He says it's the grace of God. And then he says this, His grace towards me was not in vain. Meaning, the grace of God can be in vain in your life. Okay? God can pour out His grace on you, and it can be, it, it, it can be in vain. In other words, Paul said it in Galatians 2.20 down at the bottom. He was speaking after the great Galatians 2.20 verse. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Or, or another translation uses frustrate. I don't frustrate the grace of God. You see what I'm saying? You see, many people set aside the grace of God. God gives them His grace, but they don't use His grace. They don't employ the grace of God in their life. It doesn't work in their life. It turns out to be nothing in their life. And this is, this is where I'm going right here. How do you not... How does it not be in vain? How do you not frustrate the grace of God? He says it right here. But I, what, labored more abundantly than they all. I labored more abundantly. In other words... I'll tell you, this is how you frustrate the grace of God. This is how God's grace is in vain in your life. It's when God pours out His grace into your life and you do nothing with it. Because God has called us all to serve Him. You will not be healthy without serving God. You will be an unhealthy Christian. In fact, the grace of God will be in vain in your life if in some ways you don't discover the very thing that God has called you to do with your life, to serve Him. And it can be a little thing or it can be a big thing. It can be a hidden thing. And I'll, I'll say this. If we're not serving God in some real way, some significant way, it's significant in His heart, then the grace of God is in vain in your life, according to what Paul was saying. But then he goes on and clarifies this. He says, I, he says, he says His grace was not in vain in me, but I labored more abundantly than everybody else. But yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In other words, Paul wasn't saying it was not me. He was, he was reminding us the reason I'm laboring like this is grace in me. It's grace that's activated in me. I used what God gave me. I let the grace come out. And therefore, that's how I served God, and I was diligent with it. And what we need to see as Christians, we need to be Christians. We need to be part of the family of God. But if God's grace is not working, if it's not active in your life, something must be wrong. Something must be wrong. So it's not a matter of us being like the elder brother trying to work out. He said, I slaved for you all these years. That's what he said to his father. And you never done anything for me. And the father had already given him his inheritance. 
and said, everything I've got's yours. You can have a party anytime you wanted to. But in his mind, he never had anything because the, he didn't allow the grace of God to work in. Same thing with the younger brother. You know, the guy was an idiot, really, because he took what God had given him, took what his father had given him, but he still, there was something missing in his heart, he thought. He thought, if I go out there into the world, I'll find it. It was both of those. The grace of God was in vain in both of those men's lives. Unfortunately, you know, God was able to, to restore at least a younger brother. I hope the elder brother, you know, he will be, you know, what that thing really means. But those, So those are things about the grace of God that we've got to see. You know, God didn't call you just to be His child, be His, his son, be His daughter, be His brother, Jesus' brother. He called you to be a fellow worker with Him. He called you to be in the yoke with Jesus. And He's given you the grace to do that. He's given you the power to do that. He's enabled you. You don't have to draw it from yourself. You draw it from the grace that was in Him. At least it is in vain in your life. And you need to ask yourself this morning, God, is your grace in vain in me? Have I frustrated the grace of God because I just live for myself? You understand what I'm saying to you? This is, the, this is what we got to ask. These are the kind of questions we need to really ask ourselves about our Christian life because you as a Christian will be unhappy if you're not serving God. You will be unfulfilled. There is a joy that comes with really serving the Lord. There's a sense of fulfillment that you can't get in your life if you're not serving Him. Because with that service, you know, with that grace, there's a satisfaction. And there's many who can say, really, really, this is the truth. Many who are really serving God can really say this, you know, that are serving God by His grace. They are really living spiritual lives. They're really living spiritual lives. They are living with God. They are connected with God. God is talking to them. God is sharing His heart with them. And there's, there's a communion, there's an aspect of our life that people who don't serve God just simply do not have. Because God is at work. God is in business. God is doing. And He wants you to get into that thing with them. He wants you to yoke, be yoked with Him. And there's a fellowship that you won't have apart from. And I'm telling you that's the truth. And, and that is a teaching of grace. That's what Paul was saying. That's what he was trying to give us there. Is in the grace of God, in the life of Christ, there's a fellowship that you can have that you cannot have just being, I'm just a son of God. That's wonderful. But you've got to have this other thing. You've got to have this, I'm also a worker with Christ. I'm a fellow laborer with Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? So ask yourself this question this morning. Ask yourself, and be real with yourself. Am I really serving with Christ? Am I really serving with Christ? Now, you could answer, well, I'm serving, but it's not really with Christ. I'm trying to serve God, but I don't really believe it's with Him. I believe it's all my, where I'm trying to, I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm trying to do something. That's not a good thing, you know, because God only honors the service that's with Him in the yoke with Christ. He doesn't honor stuff outside of that, believe me. That's a... That's a dead end. But you could also answer the question, no, I'm really not. I'm not even trying to serve Him. I'm just living my Christian life, so to speak, and getting by every day. And I think that's not a good answer. I think you'll be unhealthy, and you're missing out on aspects of Christianity that, you know, you're meant to have. It's yours. It's right there. It's for you. Amen? Do not set aside the grace of God. Don't frustrate it. So that's the end of the grace. That's, you know, 
the family, the, the, the brother, the fellow worker, and now the last one, which really was the most important one, I thought, you know, when I started all this, is the mission. That God has called us all to be on a mission. Now, that can overlap with being a worker, but there's a thing that God really wants, that I believe wants to say to us. Um, and I think this Joel 3, 9 through 13 is, is a significant verse for us right now in, in history. And this is what Joel said. Uh, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Prepare for war. Now, I think that's really what God is trying to say to the church right now. You need to get prepared for war. Okay? Then it says, wake up the mighty men. You know, that's really what God wants to do. Is he wants to wake up some of the mighty men that are, have gone to sleep. You know, the mighty men who are, 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 are equipped for war, ready for battle. Okay? Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Now, what I felt like God was saying in mission, He was saying, you've got to become a, men, a man of war. It, it's, time to, it's time to become a man of war. It really is. Then He says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. And so... You know, you're in a situation where your plowshare and your pruning hooks are, you know, garden, agricultural things, the way they, you know, provided for themselves. And that the Lord was saying, you need to take those things and you need to get them, you need to turn them into weapons of war because it's time to go to war. Okay? Um, let the weak say, I am strong. In other words, now's not a time to be afraid. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Sort of shifting into a prayer. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. It's interesting about old Jehoshaphat. I was asking, Lord, where in the world? I'm, and I know there's all these different interpretations about Jehoshaphat, what that means. Um, but you know, Jehoshaphat, the king, he was the king who... Uh, I can't remember exactly where it's at in either first or second chronicles. Well, he got into this mess, and there were like these all these armies that were coming against Israel. And he made the famous quote, famous prayer, Lord, we don't know what to do. That's what he said. We don't know what to do. Because he was so outnumbered that it was incredible. Just totally outnumbered. He just said and he just cried out in front of everybody, like, We don't know what to do, Lord. And he, you know, Asked people to pray and fast, and the Lord brought a great deliverance, you know, through the people praying and fasting, where they just the enemy was totally plundered, and they didn't even do anything. You know, the Lord did it for them, and that may be the place that God wants to bring us to, where we just say, perplexed, we don't know what to do, Lord. We are our enemies have, they are, they have surrounded us. And if you don't rescue us, we are ultimately, ultimately defeated. That may be what the Valley of Jehoshaphat is. Um, that sort of goes along with grace because, you know, grace is God doing it. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. So you see this thing about um, the harvest you got this thing about war. you got this thing about uh, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. you got this thing about the harvest. And you see there's a fullness of wickedness, you know, speaking of what's happening in the world. And I believe that's really sort of the prophetic voice here 
spoken by Joel for us today. You know, their wickedness is great, and we would not deny that the wickedness in the world has gotten great. Uh, so what we got to see is it's time to prepare for war. It's time to get woken up, mighty men, and get, get ready and, and get yourself armed for battle. Um, this is something Francis Frangipane wrote that I thought was really good. Um, it says, If we will succeed in these difficult days... It will be in part because we have renounced... Now, this is important. We have renounced the seductive limitations that accompany a peacetime mentality. It's a seductive limitation. Indeed, we must embrace an aspect of spirituality that is unfamiliar to many Christians, one that is both, both militant and vigilant towards, towards evil. We must, we must appropriate the war mode aspect of the mind of Christ. Now, I think that's, that's really what we've got to get in our hearts. We've got, to, we've got to appropriate this war mode. The church needs to, to switch into a war mode. Or we, or we're going to, we may be being seduced by something that says, no, no, you know, you're supposed to be peaceful, all that stuff. There's a time for peace. There's a time for war. There's a time for war. Now, this is what Paul told Timothy. Okay? You, therefore, my sons, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Be strong in the grace. First thing he said, you be strong in the grace, Timothy, that is in Christ Jesus. So that's sort of practical. That's the first thing you've got to do. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you need some faithful men. But then he goes on and says, you there must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You must endure hardship. And that's really what the, the Lord's calling the church to right now. He's calling the church to, to become soldiers, to endure hardship. There's a certain amount of hardship a soldier's going to go through that people, that civilians do not go through. And, and really what the Lord's calling us to is you, you, need to, you need to start seeing yourself as a soldier. Soldiers have to make sacrifices that other people don't make. I mean, right now we're sitting over here feeling at least, and, and are protective to somewhat compared to the American soldiers that are in Baghdad right now. And they're over there having to eat soldier food. We're not. You know, and they're having to give up certain things that we're not having to give up. You know, but spiritually, we've got to adopt this mindset. We've got to say, well, we've got to become soldiers. And then he says, listen, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That's practical. In other words, Paul was saying, you can't be all wrapped up in the, this world, entangled. You know what? Everybody knows how you get your hair all tangled up. You know? One time when I had hair, <laughs> I was in this convertible when I rode several hours in this convertible with the top down. I had long hair, too, and it was like a rat's nest. It was so mad. I didn't even mess with it. I just walked around like a rat's nest, but I didn't care because I lived like a rat in those days. But it, that's, the, that's sort of the picture that Paul's trying to say right now. Everything's all wound up, and you can't untangle it. And he's saying you can't be entangled in the world right now. Come out of the world. Get out from this entanglement of, the, of worldly things, whatever they are for you, because you are not allowed to be that because you're a soldier, and you've got to go to war, and you've got to be disciplined, and you've got to hear your commander. And be ready to fight at a moment's notice. And if you're all entangled, you can't fight. And then he says, you need to do that but so that you might please him who enlisted you as a soldier. See, 
You know, that's how God will be pleased with you as a soldier that when he says, you know, march this way, you're marching and say, well, I can't march that way right now because, you know, I'm over here doing this. God won't be happy with that. Amen? All right, listen to this. Everybody knows this verse, Second Samuel 11, 1. We wore it out on people, but it's a great verse. Here's a man who was entangled in civilian affairs when he should have been at war. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabath. But David remained at Jerusalem, I can tell you the rest of the story, and fell into adultery and wound up having a man murdered. That is a man who's entangled in civilian affairs when he should have been at war. And see, that's what I'm trying to say. I believe the Spirit's saying, prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, get ready. You need to prepare yourself and put on this war mode, become soldiers, which means if you don't, you're endangering yourself. That's what that teaches us right there. We're in danger if we don't see this. We're in danger. You may not think you are, but you are. Then Peter says this, all right, be sober. Okay? Be sober. Now, listen. What is being sober? You know, it's opposite of being drunk, correct? Right? So, I mean, if you are drunk, you are not going to be able to do the rest of what he says here. So if you're drunk, let's say the immediate... There's only one thing that the Bible really condones us to be drunk with. is with the Spirit. Everything else, the Bible forbids us to be drunk with anything except for the Spirit of God. You cannot be drunk with alcohol. If you're drunk with alcohol, Peter's saying, sober up. That's what he's saying. If you're drunk with prescription drugs, Peter's saying, sober up. If you're drunk with the lust of the world, sober up. Get straight. You know, get your mind because your mind is delusional. Your mind is being influenced by something. Whatever it is, if, you're, if you are drunk with you know, worldly pleasures or money or you're seeking this profession that you want to shine in or seeking some ministry you want to shine in, whatever it is, we're being told you need to, that one of the things you need to get straight. You, know, you get straight. Be sober now. You can't afford to be drunk. Then he says be vigilant, which is sort of a watchful term. Be, you, know, you need to be watching. Because your adversary, the devil, adversary, right, walks about like a roaring lion. We're not going to go into the like, but like a roaring lion, which a roaring lion, even if he's just like one, is a pretty fat, uh, scary thing, seeking whom he may devour. Now, this is the word devour. Get this picture. This will help you. It should wake you up if you're a drunkard this morning. That, think about this. Devour means to maul. Think about a four-year-old little boy, a little girl, being mauled by a pit bull. Now put that picture in your mind. A pit bull, a full-grown, mean old pit bull, you know, this happened, that mauls a little child, helpless to stop this pit bull. I mean, a pit bull could kill a man, a full-grown man. So here's this pit bull that has jumped on this child and mauled it. That's really what that word devours. So if you're drunk this morning, if you are not sober this morning, that is, you are allowing the devil to maul your life. He is mauling you like that little child being mauled by this vicious dog. Now that's a wake-up call. I think we really need to ask, is, are we being mauled spiritually, Lord? Because we're drunk on things. We're being consumed by things. That, we're, that if we could see ourselves spiritually, this, we would see this, this demonic force just tearing us apart, ripping at us. 
because we're just so drunk on things. It's awful. Then he says you've got to resist him. Steadfast in the faith. In other words, don't be a backslider. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now that's pretty clear biblical instructions for our times. Pretty clear. You know, and we really need to hear the Bible speaking to us today. You know, that the Holy Spirit's really trying to say we are living in a time of war. We're living in a time that we need to wake up and get sober and we need to get prepared for the war. And I think I've said to you over and over, just what's happening in the natural, it really is a, is a picture of what's happening spiritually. The war that our country's involved with, with, with terrorism, is, is a spiritual war more than it is anything else. And we're the ones called to fight the spiritual battle. That's, that's what we've got to see ourselves. There's a spiritual aspect of this war that if we don't see ourselves fighting, it is going to come, and we're going to have to face it. Now, this is the other verse I wanted to give you. Uh, in Nehemiah's day, they were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. The wall was down. The city was exposed. And Nehemiah came, you know, to rebuild this. Back in those days, if you didn't have a wall, you were, you know, you were in trouble. So he came to help them get that wall back up. And when he started doing it, of course, the enemy came after him and started attacking him. And it, it got such a mess that he had to stop the work. And like, man, we gotta, we not only gotta work, but we gotta fight. You know, we gotta work and fight. Um. He said, uh, Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I, set their, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now, if you go and study the whole context of this, some of them were working over there with the trial, you know, building the wall, and some had the sword. They were all the time, they were either fighting or they were working. That's what they did. They were either defending or they were working. That was, that was what Nehemiah had done. So he put these people there, and he looked and arose and said to the nobles, these were like the leaders, and, and to the leaders, and to the rest of the people. So he spoke to all the people, everybody, all from top to bottom. And he said, Do not be afraid of them. Remember, first of all, the Lord, great and awesome. Now that's really what the Lord's trying to say to us, that we shouldn't be afraid in this time. This is not a time to be afraid, you know. There's no, there's no fear in Christ. Okay? And to remember that the Lord is great and awesome. Then he says, this is what you've got to do. You've got to fight for your brethren. Okay? This is why you've got to do this. You've got to fight for your brethren. You know, we heard this week about a man, a very significant man in the body of Christ, who fell. This man was 72 years old, had a significant ministry, a significant influence on many people, and guess what he fell into? Drunkenness. He became an alcoholic and homosexuality. He became a homosexual. It's awful. And Paul, I was reminded what Paul said. He said, I don't want to preach to others and then fall, for my, fall myself. It's basically what he said. At least after I preach to others, I fall myself. And so nobody is safe. I mean, to me, that was like, oh, we are in a war. We are in a war. If this guy could fall, any of us could fall. This man was a very devoted man. Very devoted, very devoted to the Lord. Very prophetic man. Very, you know, very powerful. Very powerful preacher. Had seen many, seen many things. In fact, he lived in a day where preachers 
got drunk because they were so got intoxicated on the move of the Spirit, and when that didn't happen, they started becoming drunkards. And he refused, and they got into sexual morality. He lived in that day back when tent preachers were great. And he did not indulge himself in any of that in that day. He won that battle. He overcame that battle in that, when he was a young man. You know what I'm saying? And now he became an old man and lived through it and started influencing another generation of people to be holy and be pure and be right and follow the Lord and be sincere. And then at 72 years old, has a stumbling, a pretty serious stumbling. After he had saw all his buddies back then, and thought, man, I can't go that way with them. I'm not going to do it. And got out of the ministry for years, basically. And set himself aside. Like, I'm not going to expose myself to being involved in something that's going to drag me down, hurt me. And then he does. So, you know, we have people around us. Weekly, we're hearing of people that are falling. I mean, seriously, weekly. Of, of significant people. People that are greater Christians than my, me and you, you know, who know the Lord better than we know Him. Have much greater anointings than we do. And they're fallen. So we've got to fight for them. You know, fight for our brothers, for each other. And then your sons and your daughters. You know, that could be spiritual or natural. Our children. Our grandchildren that are coming up behind us. Are, we going to, are there going to be anything for them? See, that's why it's so important for us to fight. There's things we are fighting for. We're not fighting just because of some vague thing. You know, we've got something at stake here. And then your wives. You know, for men, you know, your wives. You know, or wives, your husbands. I mean, they're worth fighting for, aren't they? Do you want to see them live in a, a situation inside where they're overcome by that same evil, the temptations of the world, demonic things? I don't think so. And your houses means what you have, what you possess. It could be natural or spiritual. And I believe, you know, we're living in an hour where we really need to get real with the Lord. That's why I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Byron, you don't really understand what being part of my family is. I want to give you some adjustments on your scriptures there, how they've been applied in your life. And I also want to remind you, Byron, that you can't serve me apart from the grace of God. And if you try to serve me in the natural, then you're going to burn yourself out and get messed up. Just you know, stay in grace. You know, remember grace. Be, let grace do it. But I'm telling you, Byron, this is one thing you've got to do. You've got to become a soldier. You better get in a fighting mode. You've got to become, you've got to see yourself. I'm on a mission for God. Every one of us in this room should be on a mission for God. God is on a mission. He's on a mission to, to save the world. He's on a mission to heal the world. He's on a mission to destroy the works of the devil. However that is in your life, however that works in your life, okay? I mean, because it's going to be different for different people, Okay? Your mission may be, you know, the people next door. I don't know what your mission is. You had to, you know, but, you know, God will speak to you and show you that because he can, he can certainly do that. But that's how we have to see it. That's how we do it. And we've got to fight. We've got to really, we've really got to become people of prayer and really pray, Lord, help us. I read this week in the book of Acts where uh, James, the apostle James, his head was cut off by Herod. And Peter was in prison. They were going to kill him the next morning. And it says the church got together and prayed to the Lord. And said, Lord, you know, get Peter out. You know, y'all often wonder, what in the world? What did, what did James's mama think? God, you are so unfair. You let Peter out. 
But James, you let his head get cut off. I mean, I wonder, you know, she was the same one who went to Jesus and wanted James and John to have this special seat. And, you know, so she had this relationship with the Lord. I mean, you ever think about stuff like that? I think somebody said, God ain't never fair. He's not. God is totally unfair. I mean, because fairness is, is a man thing. You know? You know, God's not in it, but He's interested in justice. And guess what justice was? Well, all the apostles except for John, the way we understand, became martyrs. They all got it, except for John, as far as we understand it. So James had the, the blessed thing of being the first apostle to be a martyr for Christ. That was a blessing, you know. That's significant. Um, so that, that was wonderful, you know, spiritually speaking. At the time, it probably didn't feel wonderful. Um, but the church prayed. And if you go through and look at Acts, I was reading it, and I was just like, man, excitement. Every chapter is exciting. Something is happening in the book of Acts. Every chapter is something. Some of it was intense, but at least something was happening. People were dying, you know. They died when they lied, and, you know. We'd all be dead in here this morning. If, they, if the Lord held that rule, everybody in this room would fall over dead right now because everybody in this room is, you know, God, let God be true and every man a liar, as the Bible says. But they, those guys literally died. You know, some wonderful things happen in the Bible in the book of Acts. Uh, we think it all happened like every day, you know, like that was over several years, but reading it is, 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 is an exciting journey. But one of the things that you fail to see if you're not careful is how much prayer was a part of the book of Acts. They were praying. It said they prayed. It gave some of the prayers they prayed. It's not in every chapter in the book of Acts, but it's in many of the chapters in the book of Acts. It's prayer. So I think that's one thing that, on a practical note, how we prepare for war, is we've got to get into a prayer mode. And the Lord really convicted me of prayerlessness. You know, me and Matthew and Becky up here almost every day, and we never got together and prayed. And just, you know, prayed for the church, prayed for the people. We, I mean, and the Lord said, you ain't praying. I am praying, Lord. I get up every morning and pray and talk to you, and I pray a lot. And then I realized what he was saying is, y'all are together, y'all can pray in agreement about things. It was a, I felt convicted about it. Now, you know, we talk about everything else in the world. We sit around and talk about the, you know, <laughs> you, know you, <laughs> politics. <laughs> We don't talk bad about you most of the time. A couple of people we do, like Dean, and, you know, how he plays golf and things like that. <laughs> somebody has to be, you know, we've got to make some jokes at somebody, but <laughs> really, we do need to be praying. And he convicted me, you know, you've got to pray. Y'all need to pray together. It don't have to be some big deal. And Just get together and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, help us. We need your help. Please help us, Lord. Show us what to do. Show us what to do today, Lord. And then another thing is what Becky hit on about the women's retreat was this. One of the things the Lord clearly spoke to Becky and I is, is I'm not interested in sending people on to, into the war if they're so dang beat they can't even get through the day. You know, you need to get your hearts healed. You need to get over the wounds of this life. The Word of His grace will heal you. It'll build you up. It'll fix you. Because Paul in that same thing said, the wolves are coming. I'm leaving and the wolves are coming. If you could read it, like, what's wrong with Paul? The wolves are coming he's leaving. He said, they're going to come. The wolves are headed our way. The wolves are the enemy to devour us. But grace is what helps us. So we've all faced the wolves. Everybody in this room has faced the wolves. That's just reality. But we need to get healed. 
And we need to constantly let grace heal us as we go into this war and, go and, and become, you know, combat us. God will heal you. God will keep you whole. God will make you right. So that's, that's another real important thing that we, ne- that we need to do is allow God, allow the grace of God to heal the deep hurts in us. And you'd be so shocked if you really invite Him to do that. He'll start telling you stuff that's wrong with you you didn't even know was wrong with you. That's the grace of God. I didn't even know I needed fixing in that area. Why didn't you tell me before now? Well, I wasn't opening to hearing it before now. So I think a simple prayer like that, ask Him, Lord, I, I know I'm messed up in some areas of my life. I don't think right. I've given the enemy a foothold, you know, through different, different doors I've opened or it's been opened on me. He'll show you and He'll do it. It's, you know, you don't have to do a bunch of inward plucking around there. And I think the other thing is, I think they hit on it also, was this whole issue of forgiveness. You know, it's being able to forgive people. Simple. You know, Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. So you have to receive the grace for forgiveness. The people who have hurt you, people who have disappointed you, people who have let you down. I think that's really important because if we don't do that, then he can't forgive us. It's, that's clear. And then the last thing I feel um, is this whole issue of accepting people as they are. Okay. Well, Corey really hurt me. I've forgiven him, but I don't like the way Corey talks to me still. Well, you need to accept Corey the way Corey is because you, number one, are not God. And you can't change Corey. But you can love Corey. You can love him. Even if he, you know, is kind of rough around the edges, Corey. <laughs> See what I'm saying? I think those are the kind of things that God wants to do with us as a people. You know, the word he gave Becky and I is, was this, about people, as is. Can you accept them as they are? With all their faults and all their wrongs, can you accept them? Because I'm accepting them, why can't you? Or do you want to make them become something else before you can accept them? Or do you want to go try to fix them? Which, that's really not a good thing to do, you know, because it creates more problems. The more you try, the worse it gets, trust me. Until one day the Lord said, I'll remind you who the Holy Spirit is. And it's not you. There's a God and it's not, and you're not Him. And that's a reminder, you know, when we do that. So I think if we would begin to do those things in our lives, those are the kind of practical things we can do to prepare for war. Amen? Yes. Chuck wants to say something. Um, <clears throat> Janet was reminding me in the beginning, I'll try to make this as brief as I can, but I really feel like the last part of what I'm going to share is the key to what Byron's uh, wanting to say here. Is I want to remind you of a dream. Uh, there's a lot of you that weren't here that I, when I shared it, but you remember the dream I had about the Biltmore House and how the guy asked me after he showed me the carriages, would you be willing to bring your horses and and pull those carriages? And I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. Well, tell the dream over? Okay. The dream was we went to the Biltmore house, and we were in this party thing, and, and uh, uh, while we were there, there was this servant lady, head servant lady. She was going through, and she was checking all the names to make sure that if you were at this uh, 
ball party festival thing that your name was on the list. And uh, she was she came up to me and she said, "What's your name?" And I said, "Chuck Moore." And she says, "Okay." Okay. And she was going and she said, "Oh, by the way, would you like to um, meet or Mr. Vanderbilt would like to meet you?" And I said, oh, "Okay." And he came out of a side door and uh, of a room. He wasn't in there with us. He was. It was like he had given us his the Biltmore House for us to enjoy, and he was staying out of the way. And But he wanted to meet me, and, and he said, have you seen my carriages? And I said, no, sir. And he took me to the carriage house and showed me the carriages that he had, and they were, you know how when you store things, how they get all dusty and, you know, messed up? Well, these things weren't dusty. They were clean, immaculate. And, 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 uh, when he was showing me this, I started seeing his heart. And, uh, uh, he said, I never intended for this place to become a museum. I wanted it to stay a place where we could have, um, these balls and these parties. That's what I built this place for was to, for hospitality for people to come to and to, to enjoy and the thing that I enjoyed the most about this place was hearing the carriage horses bringing the people and the guests coming in and I don't get to hear it anymore and here they are laying dormant and um, he said I heard you had horses and I said yes sir I do he said He said, would you bring them and hook them up? And I said, sure. Well, you ain't going to believe the rest of the story. I had a colt that the Lord said, you name this colt Honey Master, Honey Mountain Master's Duke. And I sold this colt, oh, over a year ago. This was real. This is not a part of the dream. This is real. And I want you to hear what happened. I sold it to a man in Troutman. The man took it to Ohio, and I delivered it and sold it to another Amish guy that put it with his half-brother and broke the two horses. Guess who's got the horse now? The uh, Biltmore House went up there and bought it this summer. Can you believe that? And uh, I believe this is the part that God wants me to share with you. I said, yes, you can use my horses. But I don't have any power to give them to you. I've already sold them. I didn't sell them once, but it got sold twice. And, and it was like the Lord saying, that's all right, I'm going after it. And he went after it. All you got to do is respond. You're helpless. You've not just screwed up one time. You screwed up twice. <laughs> and it's a price that you can't pay to redeem it back. The feathers are gone. Do you understand that? And there's no way to redeem it. But the Lord can redeem this. He can redeem 
you. He doesn't want you to be a museum. He wants you to be alive and in the fracas. And he's going after it. The only thing that you have to do is respond yes. Say yes. That's all you got to do. See, there was nothing I could do. The horse was gone. The horse was gone. I couldn't go back and get it. Oh, I could have went and paid what the guy wanted, but I sure didn't feel like I should. I didn't have the money. And I just wanted to share that with you. I really feel like the, what Byron is saying is the Lord is sounding the trumpet and saying it's time. It's time. Uh, clear out the mothballs. I'm coming back. It's uh, I'm wanting this place not to be a museum. I don't want you sitting on the shelf. I'm going to use you. And uh, so I really feel like I don't know where to go from here. Obviously, that's the Lord. That that dream, and you have you have to be you know, slam stupid and not even believe in God. <laughs> I think what we can do is Chuck. Would you go stand right there? If you are saying yes to God...